I, don't, I was going to say it's lovely to be with you, but I'd rather say it's awesome to be with you. Because it is awesome to be with, with the Lord, isn't it, where God is. And um, this morning, the, the earlier session, the four o'clock, it felt like morning, it was so long ago. I did a thing on the Father Heart of God. But I've been, I've been in the book of Jude and Second Peter just for a long time. It's just been one of those both books that I've just kept coming back to. And um, really it felt just the Lord speak to me about some things that I think formed so much of my own understanding of God as a, as a young Christian. And I think uh, certain aspects of these books, I think, have been lost to our generation. And I want to dig into the book. I'm actually going to be doing quite a systematic teach, hopefully, and uh, working through, which is a bit different to what I normally do. But I want to just run through the book of Jude. I don't think I'm going to get all the way through it, but we might. Uh, but let's see how it goes. But I feel like there's some keys in this book that I think are um, life-changing and very important for us to start uh, to, to get our heads around. And there's a picture. I've get, did you get that picture? Could you put it up for me? So um, that little speck in the thing is a man. His name is Niccolo Porcello. And that wave is a wave in Fiji called Chiapu. And uh, it's probably one of the heaviest waves in the world. It's only about 50 centimeters deep. And it's sharp razor coral. If you touch it, I once had a piece of my toe clipped off just because my toe touched the coral. So that guy's about to get lacerated and pummeled to pieces. And um, uh, the reason why I show you that wave, <laughs> uh, he nearly drowned and he was cut up and everything when he came up. But the, the, the thing about this is Jude's actually going to write in a letter. We can look at it just now. And he's going to tell us that some people... And some things that we hear, some teachings that we learn, are going to be as dangerous to us as that wave is over there. Now, I've wiped out in waves, or taller than this roof, um, when I was young and crazy. And uh, I can tell you that when you wipe out on a big wave, you, you can die. You, you can really die. I mean, I've actually, my ear, it wasn't a big wave, unfortunately, but... My ear is a surfing injury that happened about two days ago. I went over the falls and my surfboard connected with my ear. And uh, they had to cut a piece of my ear out, three millimeters, and uh, the cartridge is out the ear. So they had to cut it out and stick it back in and fix it up again. That was a little wave. I've had some big waves where I've wiped out and I've thought my body's going to get ripped to pieces. And um, the crazy thing that Jude's going to tell us just now is that actually sometimes in life, without us even realizing it, we can get ourselves in situations like that. And I'm hoping as we dig into this letter that you're going to remember this moment and uh, don't paddle out when the waves look like that. Because actually for you, the waves look like that all the time spiritually right now because of the world that you're growing up in. And so let's dig into Jude's letter. And uh, Jude is one of the last books in the Bible. It's near the end. And uh, we're going to see how far we get, and uh, I think there's some things that the Lord's going to highlight for us as we dig in. So this is kind of a teaching, which I don't normally do, but hey, let's do it. See how it goes. So quickly, the background to this book. Jude is actually the brother of Jesus, who only becomes a Christian after he sees Jesus raised from the dead. And so he becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem, which is obviously where all the apostles are. And it's an amazing time to be a Christian because Christianity pops on the scene in Jerusalem uh, with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And suddenly the whole city has been literally turned upside down. I mean, even the neighboring towns are coming to believe the church is exploding. They're turning the, the world, their world upside down. And then everything changes because... Uh, the Jews start getting threatened by this. They don't like the fact that so many people are converting in this. In fact, the Christians are taking over the synagogues 
in Jerusalem. And, uh, and so this is like freaking out the Jews. And so they rise up and they begin to persecute the Christians. And uh, it's such a heavy persecution that, and ultimately through Rome, which later will do the same thing, that every, the Bible tells us that the church in Jerusalem literally scatters. They run for their life. It's like you're going to die if they catch you. And they're not, they don't, they don't, it's not a nice way of dying. They were feeding people later on to, to wild animals. They were setting them alight. You know, literally Nero would light Christians in his garden uh, when he'd have dinner parties. He would catch Christians, cover them in tar while they were still alive, and set them alight. So they'd be literally lighting up his dinner parties. So being a Christian suddenly went from amazing to very, very challenging. And these Christians just scatter. The problem with the scattering is, obviously, it's... Um, they leave everything, they run for their lives, and immediately they are separated from their leaders. The Bible tells us the apostles stay in Jerusalem. They're the only guys that stay, it seems, or very few stay with them. And most of the churches just scattered all over the world. And so that's the backdrop to this letter. And so it's a quite an interesting letter because uh, it's t- spoken to a church that's now going through really difficult times. But one of the things that's interesting is um, the first threat that came was persecution. The second threat the more dangerous threat, and this is a threat that we face, is um, bad teachers and bad teaching, false brothers. So how many of you know that Christians are very um, embracing of people? Like we're supposed to, we, we love people, don't we? We have dinner parties where you can come and, you know, who's going to eat at my house for, 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 for dinner? And so as Christians, we by nature always want to make the circle bigger. We always want to bring people into what we have. But, and that's a beautiful trait. And it's one we, we must never lose. But the difficulty in that trait is that without leaders protecting us, we can embrace some really terrible people. We can embrace people that will really do a lot of damage to us. And actually, without even knowing it, we can get pummeled like Nicola Porcello got pummeled by that wave in Chiapu. And uh, if anyone's been around in the church for a while, uh, who's been pummeled in the church? <laughs> kind of feels like you're going to get ripped limb from limb sometimes. And so Jude writes this letter, and he's really writing to Christians that are, he's really concerned because separate from their leaders, these guys are embracing anything that's going through, and there are a lot of people starting to preach different things in the church that are very, very damaging to the Christian faith. That's the backdrop to the letter. And so he writes it in around 80, somewhere between 8065 and 8080. It's quite a late letter. Okay, so that's the background. He calls it, uh, let's jump in quickly, Jude. Let's start at uh, verse 3 and 4. Because he does his little intro about who he is, and then he jumps into, Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else. What happened? Okay. I felt I'd write to you to urge you to... Co- okay, so let me do it in my translation. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. So he wants to write to them about this amazing thing that Jesus has done, about the grace and the, God, the, the goodness of God. But then he says, I, but I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. So this is how he starts his letter. This is his concern, that certain people and certain teachings have crept into these early Christians and starting to mess their faith up. It's starting to do to them what, what uh, Chiapu did to Nicola Porcello. Okay. And so you've got this interesting thing of um, this dangerous thing that's starting to happen. Now, quickly, let me jump in. 
How many of you know that the devil is very, very sneaky? He doesn't come obvious. He doesn't come... I mean, can you imagine if, if his, his dream of tempting you was this? Tonight, when you get home, you go to sleep, you wake up, and he's standing in your room with flames coming out of him. He's got his pitchfork, and he's like, let's go party. How many are going to go party with him? <laughs> he doesn't come in the obvious way. He comes very deceptively. He comes in very sneakily, and he slips in. And actually, here, you, we literally read Jude's telling us that actually people now have slipped in like that without us realizing it, and they're actually starting to corrupt the faith of these early Christians. They're starting to damage and kind of toss them around so that people are getting really, really damaged. Now, he calls them in Jude 13. Let's put that up for me quickly. Jude 13. Sorry, my notes are a little low. Have you lost the AV? Okay, well, I'll, I'll read Jude, th- Jude 13. It's not a long book. Okay, there's Bibles everywhere, so you can get your Bible open and just open it, Jude. It's near the end. If, you're, if, you're, if your guy sitting next to you is lost, just help him. This is a Bible teaching, so we're going to be spending a bit of time in the book. It's not just going to be stories. All right, so he says in Jude 13, all right. That these people that have crept in are like wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. I use the picture of a wave because Jude literally uses that picture as he writes his letter. They are like wild waves of the sea, tossing up or foaming up their shame. So um, how many of you have been swept by the sea out of your comfort zone? Sea can be very powerful, can't it? Sometimes you're standing and it feels like it's everything going well, and the next minute just goes out of control and you are like being pummeled, true? This is the picture that we have that certain people are going to come into the church and they're going to cause your Christianity to feel like it. They are going to cause you to be washed, coming up the sand in your ears and stitches and all sorts of stuff because they are wild waves of the sea. Now, how many of you think that there could be Christians and teachings all around you right now that could do that to you? Because that's exactly what he's saying. He's actually saying that there's a lot of teachings and a lot of teachers that are going to do that kind of damage to you and to your faith. And so in some ways, he's writing as a shepherd, as a pastor, because he's really concerned for these people that he loves. Okay. Uh, Just by being near them, you can be savagely beaten and destroyed. And uh, it's quite scary because a lot of books and conferences and a a lot of even churches, what's taught from pulpits, is actually the very thing that he touches. And he's going to tell us later that this is what's going to happen a lot in the last days. The apostles would tell us about these things. How many of you think we're in the last days? So... These people, and we're going to dig into it properly just now, I'm just giving you the backdrop, are going to do great damage to us. And the scary thing for me is, uh, you know, you ask the question, how much of the Christian faith today is contending for the authentic faith that he asks us to? How much of the Christianity we hear about, we read about, we experience is the Christianity that, that the early apostles got? And we've got to consider that. We've got to really grapple with that concept. So, uh, because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4, and I'll just read that because we don't have it on the notes. It says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. For the time will come. He's looking forward. He's looking, he's looking at Stellenbosch in 2022. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers 
to say what their itchy ears want to hear. They will turn the ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Did you catch that word, great number? So the end times church will see a great number of teachers who will start to teach us things that actually are very, very dangerous to it. It'll slip in. You won't see how it got in. It's kind of one of those little, how did, how did we get here? How did that get in? Because the devil knows how to come masquerading as an angel of light. So he comes as one who looks like it's good, looks like it's God. And Christians who believe the best of go, welcome. We love that teaching. Bring it in. But secretly it slips in and it'll actually do us great damage. Jesus also said this, many will say on that last day, Lord, Lord, we drove out demons in your name and heal the sick in your name. And he will say, depart from me, you who are lawless. And again, the language is many. So the question is today, right now, today, how many Christians met together as God's people? And then the, other, the second question is, how many of them, without knowing, are about to hit the reef? Because if we warned about these things and great numbers, then I can guarantee you a lot. And even what I'm saying, you need to weigh up against the word of God. Because actually, these guys will secretly slip in and they'll do our faith great damage. Causing us to turn aside from the truth, even towards believing things that are not true myths. Does that make sense? So Jude starts to then give us a list of what these people are like. And um, he starts in, in Jude 4. He says, because they come in a lot of different forms. And he's just going to kind of give us random examples of the kind of things that we need to look out for as we live out our faith. So that we don't go over the falls. And in Jude 4 it says, They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So the first example he gives us about these people that are going to do us this great damage is that they are godless men. And then... The word godless um, in the Greek speaks about um, ungodly or impious. There's no reverence or fear of God in their hearts. There is a sense that God is just buddy, buddy, buddy. There's no, there's no sense of that they're living their lives with fear of Him and, and, and realizing that one day they're going to stand in front of Him and give an account for their lives. He'll just be... Tell me. Yeah. And then He says they're going to do something. He says they're going to change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They're going to change the grace of God into a license for immorality. What is the grace of God? Can I explain it like this? I'll explain it through my life. Because your life should have been something similar if you've experienced the grace of God. I came to church. or I came with, For me, I came to church. Sat down and watched these crazy Christians and thought these guys are weird. Heard the preaching, and for the first time realized that I was a sinner. God, by His grace, began to open my eyes to see myself for the first time. And I realized that I was not right with Him. I realized that actually nothing I could do would make me right with Him. And I realized I needed a Savior. I, I, needed, I needed His help. Then I saw Jesus dying on the cross through the preaching of the Word. And I realized that He died on the cross for me. That he died for my sin, for my failure, for my selfishness. And I believe that's all a work of grace. God's working that in my heart. I can't do that by myself. 
But then the amazing thing about grace is it doesn't just end with believing in what happened 2,000 years ago. It comes and it brings what Jesus did on the cross very close and real to you and me. So that immediately, the Bible says it like this in Jeremiah. God says, I'm going to write my law into your heart. I'm going to make you want and love what I love. So when grace comes into you, you walk into, I walked into church loving sexual immorality, loving drugs. You know, I met Jesus and my love's changed in a moment. In a moment. It was like God's, the Bible says he wrote on, a, on, a, on, on stones in the Old Testament. God's finger came down when, and carved out those stones and then God wrote, thou shalt not or thou shalt. He did the Ten Commandments. Now the finger of God comes into you and me when we believe properly by grace. And he writes his desires into us. And I remember walking out of that meeting and I knew I could never do drugs again. I didn't want to. I wanted him. I tasted him and I, I knew I couldn't have that in him. So I, I, I wanted to turn away. I knew I could no longer carry on with sexual in a, a sexual immoral lifestyle. I knew I had to turn away. I struggled with smoking. I knew I had to turn away from smoking. I swore, I, I knew, I, but I wanted to because he had, by his grace, written his loves into my heart. And I became a new creature, the Bible says. The old is gone, the new has come. It's being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a powerful experience. It is something that God does by His Spirit. And, and literally, you will not be the same if Jesus has come by His grace and worked into your heart. It is as glorious what happened to you as what happened when Mo It's actually more glorious than what happened with Moses when he was up on the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments. It is a life-changing experience. This is the grace of God. Okay. But these people will change that that I've just said into something that will make us feel like uh, nothing we do will affect our relationship with God. Nothing we'll do will hurt that. It, it's a license for immorality. <laughs> so, and how many of you know there's a lot of teachings about grace today? And grace often teaches just that, you know, Actually, you know, nothing you do affects your relationship with God because of what he's done on the cross for you. And it actually is a false grace because actually your heart's desire should change. And even I was actually on the phone today. I had a phone call from somebody who actually was in another church who for some reason phoned me. They're not in our church. And they asked me a question. They said this. Sorry to bug you on a Sunday. Uh, but um, I was told in a Bible study that if I smoke cigarettes, I smoke one cigarette and I die, I'm going to go to hell. Is that true? And I said, mm, no. But let me explain. If anyone of us here thinks we're without sin, we are deceiving ourselves. John tells us if anyone says he's without sin, he's a liar and the truth is not within him. So standing here, I'm not aware of any sin that I'm living in. But I can guarantee if I come into the presence of God, I'm suddenly going to become conscious of a whole lot in me that's not reflecting Him well. So I fall short of the glory of God, still. And God covers, blessed is a man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Okay. 
But I'm also in love with him and I'm growing in my faith. And so every single day as I walk with him, he, my teacher, is making me more like him. So he's, when you're a young Christian, he'll convict you about swearing or sex or something. And as you grow, it'll be deeper things. It'll be harder things that you've got to deal with. Okay. The, the question is this, and I know this person, they used to smoke and then they stopped. And then they had a terrible trauma that happened in their family. And through the emotion of that and the baggage of that, they began to smoke again. And so now, the fact that smoking came up, <laughs> if I smoke, is that going to cost me my salvation? And the answer is not that simple, actually. I had to say, you know, I think. The Bible says, if anyone says without sin, he's a liar and the truth is not within him. But the Bible says if we willingly go on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, well, then we're also in trouble because now you're trampling the Son of God under your feet, making a mockery of the cross. So I think in your case, I think what's happened is you broke free from an area of sin and then trauma hit you. And the grace of God, I think, has covered you this far. But I wonder if the Lord isn't saying it's because a bruised reed, he will not break. So you are bruised they lost their son. It was a very traumatic experience. And they both fell into a really bad pattern again. I said, I think the Lord loves you and he's covered you. But what happens if the Spirit wants you to be free again? And he's starting to talk to you about smoking. You see, if he's starting to challenge that area in your life, you can't ignore it. Because if you ignore it, you harden your heart against the work of the Holy Spirit. And that tells you that if you continually harden your heart, you can eventually get a calloused heart. And eventually your faith will be damaged. You'll be no longer hearing. You won't even be being convicted because you're just carrying on in your sin. And now you can come to a point where you are in danger. Because you're making a mockery of what Jesus did. Does that make sense? Grace teaches us to say, no. To sin and unrighteousness. And so if you hear any grace that teaches you that it's okay, that you know, nothing you do affects your relation with God, that it's not the truth. Sin kills, but we can come to Him and find grace in our time of need. In other words, when you're struggling in your sin, you have one who's with you, who's for you, who wants to help you to get free. And you can freely come into His presence and find help when you need it. Okay. So, and this is what he says this. They're going to turn the, the grace of our God into a license for morality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So he smashes something here that I think is very, very relevant. And I, if you're going to get anything from today, get this. These guys are going to come and they're going to teach that you can be a Christian without making Jesus your absolute Lord. Let me, let me break that down. He uses certain words Deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. That word only is actually in the original. It literally means that he is the only one that we live for. He's the everything. That you've got no other lords. You've got no other things that you live for. You live only for him. And so the question I have for you is, when you believed, did you orientate your life around that from that day onward, you would live only for him? That he would be your only sovereign and your only Lord. 
How many of you have felt him grappling with you in your heart about lordship and things that you've loved? I remember I loved surfing when I came to him. My identity was wrapped up in it. I used to surf eight hours a day. I was competitive. I, I lived for surfing. My, my dream, if I live my way, if I backslide, you'll not backslide because I'll be living in Indonesia on a yacht. <laughs> That'd be me living my life the way I want to live it. And I remember the Lord challenging me because this was an idol. And it was actually what I wanted to live for. And the Lord began to challenge me. He said, you can't live for the world and for me. You've got to choose. Your idol might be your career. Your, might, you can admit, but you can only have one sovereign and one Lord. And so he gives us this. If you, if you don't realize this, you actually haven't believed grace properly. And so true grace teaches us, and he tells us, we'll deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. To deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The word here for um, sovereign is this. Um, actually, let me say this, sorry. Our only being the only one we live for. In 1 Corinthians 7.35, you don't have your notes up again, no. Okay, don't worry. If you haven't, it's not your fault. It's Leonard's fault. We'll blame him. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 7 verse 35. Paul tells us this. He's talking about being married or not being married. And, you know, should you marry or shouldn't you marry? And if you are married, how do you live? And then he says, if you're married, you should live as though you're not. He says that. 1 Corinthians 7.35. Maybe somebody find it for me. You guys are like, what? Can we see that in the Bible, please? Okay, let's have a look. 1 Corinthians 7.35. Everyone is, you got it. Do you want to read it for us? Come. 1 Corinthians 7.35. Okay, it speaks about... It, it's, it's a bit further. It says, if you're married, you should live as though you're not, because I want you to live in pure, undivided devotion to Christ. 39. Not that. Where's it, Leonard? Come on, help me find it. I've got a long, wrong notes. Undivided devotion to the Lord. It's in Corinthians. Sorry, this was when you throw your notes together at... Uh, Verse 29. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What does it say? But this I say, but this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Wow, where is it? Undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 35. Is it verse 35? That's it. All right. So you might live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. How many of you know that God wants all of your attention? He wants all of your love. He wants undivided devotion to himself. He is God. He is sovereign. He is the God who made everything, who wove you together in your mother's womb, who made you for himself. And actually, he says that your purpose in life is actually to actually come with him and to make him your absolute sovereign 
and Lord. And you, sh- you and I should live in undivided devotion. In other words, nothing else takes our attention away. Our primary purpose in life is Jesus Christ and His glory. How many Christians live like that? How many Christians live, and how many Christians go to church but don't live like they have an undivided devotion for the house of God and the things of God? I would ask you, did the early apostles live that way? We left everything to follow you, they said. Is he different today? It's the same God. So Paul would say this in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, my purpose in life is Jesus. And if I die, well, I get to see him. It's gain. For me to live is Christ. In other words, more important than getting married, more important than having a degree and a career, more important than living in a nice house, the primary purpose of every Christian should be undivided devotion to the Lord. Because He's your only sovereign and your only Lord. I remember when I got saved, I knew this was true. Like I didn't know the Bible but somehow the Spirit wrote that into me. I knew it was God was everything or nothing. There was no sort of Christianity. It was like, Jesus, you got my all or you, you, don't, you don't want me at all. It's everything or nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> sovereign is an interesting word to deny the sovereign Lord. Who, um, so the word sovereign is despotes in the Greek. It's where you get the word despot from. You know the word despot? Do you know what that means? A despot isn't normally a bad term for us because people with that kind of power corrupt it. But a despot is someone who has absolute power over a nation or over a group of people. Despotes. So what God's saying is, I have absolute lordship over you because I died on a cross for you. I paid, pri- I paid the price for you with my own blood. And so the word Lord... Denying the sovereign Lord. The word Lord is karios. Karios in the Greek is always a slave owner. In other words, uh, it's always, if you go back to proper Greek, karios is always a slave owner. So they deny God's right over us as an as a, as a owner would have over a slave in that time. So he has a right over my life and over your life. I own nothing. He owns everything. I'm absolutely his. He's my karyos, my Lord. Do you know 1 Corinthians, I wish, had, I wish you had this thing working, but it's not your fault. So. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says this. You are not your own. You'll know the scripture. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Do you realize that that's slave language? The picture is this. Andrew Silly giving himself over to whatever he likes and getting enslaved by it. Sexual immorality was very exciting until it started to rule me and I couldn't control it anymore. Drugs were very exciting until I couldn't control it. And each of my masters began to lord it over me. The Bible says I became a slave to sin. Some of us are slaves to bitterness, to anger, to unforgiveness. We give ourselves over to these slave masters and they begin to rule us. And once they get power over us, we can't break free. It's like I don't know how to get free from this thing. It's got me. It's my master. It's my Lord. 
But then Christ comes and he sees us. And the picture you've got is of the Roman army had gone out and beaten some other army and had captured men and had them standing on the slave market. Absolutely helpless. Unable to save themselves. And the Lord, looking at Andrew Sely, captured and enslaved to sin, saying, I want him to be free. I love him. So what the Lord does is he bars me. Do you know how he bars me? He doesn't pay for me with silver or gold. The price for me is death. The price for me is blood because my sin has separated me from him. So God comes and sheds his blood. You were bought at a price. And I'm no longer then, I'm brought into his household. And I'm no longer enslaved by the things that once ruled me. Now, he is my absolute sovereign Lord. I'm still a slave, but I'm his slave. And oh my goodness, you have no idea how good a slave master he is. Because he, as a master, lives to set me free. And I'm not talking freedom to do what I want to do. But freedom for me as a human being is found in absolutely making God the center of my life. And living all that I am is for his glory. That's where freedom is found. The love of the world is if, if you can have freedom, just take it. Let me tell you, freedom that offers that freedom leads to slavery. If any man, Jesus said, if any man wants to find his life, he must lose it for my sake. <laughs> he said, if you want to live with me, Die with me. So Christ showed us the example of what it is that actually we are no longer our own. We were bought at a price. So that translates to this. Break it down to you and me. You don't belong to you anymore. You, you don't have a right to decide who you marry or where you live. Or Your question should be, Master, Sovereign Lord, what would you have me do? What would you, my life is yours, it's not my own. That's, that's what Jude's writing about. That's Jude's letter. They deny the sovereign Lord, the only sovereign and only Lord. Does this make sense? <laughs> so Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you, if, you, if you understand grace properly, is your everything. He's what you live for, what you want to spend the rest of your life for. What you want to waste your life on is him. And if you start to love the world, then the Bible says, well, you can't serve two masters. Choose who you want to serve. Choose who you want to love. Now, he's a good master. So if we forsake the world, he gives good gifts to us. He's a good father. But my life is not my own. I was bought at a price. And as a slave to him, because he's my curios, my lord, my slave master, Everything I have belongs to him. This shirt, well, it's not mine. This watch, it's not mine. He's letting me use it. These shoes, this life, it's not mine. My life is hidden in him. I'm a Christian. I no longer live for myself. I live for the glory of God. My life's purpose is that the nations would see the wonder of Christ. Because he loved me and saved me from slavery. And actually, being his slave is the best thing that ever happened to me. I've been a slave to many things. But Christ, I love to serve him.
Does this make sense? That's what Jude's warning us about. He says, and he actually goes on to say, in the end times, this is going to become a real problem. You'll see just now if we get there, that this is going to become a real problem towards the end. Paul would say that, remember earlier, in the end times, people tell them what they want, not what God wants. All right. Is this making sense? <laughs> so this is quite a heavy letter, huh? I mean, it's, it's liberating if you get it, but it's also like, oh my goodness, he's not mucking around. How many of you know the grace of God is no cheap thing? God paid for me with blood and for you with blood. <laughs> then he says this. Are you with me still? Then it is this. I don't think this is taught much anymore, though. Would you agree with me? I mean, I think people sometimes lift their hand in a meeting and they go, oh, yeah, there you, you're saved. Your name today is written in the book of life. That's it. You're done and dusted. And you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Salvation is a process. It's a journey. It's, a, it's a, a starting to follow Jesus. And then it's, it's following him until one day he presents me before the Father, covered by his grace, not yet perfect in myself, but regarded as perfect because I gave myself to him. I was his slave. So in verse 5, Jude, go back to Jude 5. So he says, though you already know this, I want you to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now he's obviously using an Old Testament picture for us here of Israel. And then he's, he's bringing it to us in the church and he's saying, guys, this is what's going to happen in the end time. These waves are going to come and this is what's going to start to happen. People will get delivered out of Egypt. What was your Egypt? Egypt was slavery to sin. Israel was in Egypt, and they were slaves to Pharaoh. And then God said, let my people go that they can worship me. So you and I all come from an Egypt. My Egypt was sexual immorality, drugs, swearing, living, surfing. So I lived for it. It was an idol. And then I left Egypt. And I started this journey towards salvation, towards the land that God had promised me. But he says, I was delivered out of Egypt, but later they were destroyed because they did not believe. So now the question is, what's that mean for me as a Christian? If Jude's warning me about an end times move, it'll happen. It tells me that some people will come out of slavery from Egypt and start this Christian walk and then go, and this is what they did. The cucumbers in Egypt were awesome. That's what they said. I prefer that. I want to go back. I don't want to follow the Lord anymore. This is too hard. This is too costly. The desert sucks. Egypt was awesome. I want to go back. And so he says, if you go back to Egypt, you're going to be like them. You're going to be destroyed. Don't think that you can go back. In fact, Jesus would say this in Luke 9, uh, 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I remember when I got saved, he called me and I began to follow him. And following him led me to do what I'm doing now. I'm not my own. I have no choice in this matter. I do, but I don't. I can turn away, but then there's big consequences. So I'm his. I'm, I'm his. Okay. If I take my hand off the plow, what's that? Nah, this is too hard. I don't want to work anymore in the kingdom of God. He says, then I'm not fit for the kingdom of God. So again, Jude's putting a very heavy 
onto these guys. Because remember what they're doing is they're following Jesus and they're getting persecuted now. So some of them are going, I actually want to go back to Judaism. In Judaism, you don't get persecuted because the Jews had, Rome had accepted Judaism as a recognized religion within Rome. So Christianity was an outdoor religion. So Rome would hunt you down as a Christian and kill you. But if you say, no, hang on, I'm a Jew. I'm going back to Judaism. Then I'm safe because I'm now it's an accepted religion. It's like a state-recognized religion. And you're saying, you can't go back. You can't go back. Does it make sense? Let me land this somewhere. In verse 6, And the angels who didn't keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. This is a very interesting thing now. The angels, how many of you know that the devil that's on the earth was once an angel? And he had one third of the angels with him. And they had a place in the throne room of God. Satan was actually one of the archangels that used to actually cover the glory of God. But Satan wanted something more than God gave him. He wanted to be like God. So he abandoned his position and he... Um, and he rebelled against God. And the Bible tells us that, that now these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Do you realize that something I think we've also lost in this generation? I stand in front of you today and I am um, male. I know that's a very profound thing to say today. <laughs> but I've been given a position. God made me like this. I might have sexual inclinations that are, that are not normal or different from normal males, but God made me this. This is who I am. This is the position God made me. When God made Adam and Eve, he said, male, female, and this was good. This was good. If I abandon the position that God put me in, I do exactly what the angels did. I don't like what God gave me. I want something different. So I abandon the place that God put me in. And I, I choose my own place. But in doing that, I say to the God of the universe, you made a mistake when you made me. And I wanted to live life the way I want to live. And anyone can do that. But there are consequences. Because he is God. So, and here's the key thing. As a male or a female, you have a different position, a different role. You're called to reflect something different of God. And God says who he made you is beautiful. It's beautiful. It reflects him. <laughs> Did you see in America recently there was this thing where they asked one of the politicians, um, what is the definition of a woman? It's kind of all on her Facebook now. And she said, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. What is the definition? I don't know. I'm not a biologist. A woman is made in the image of God. She's beautiful. God made her perfectly to reflect something of himself. No man can reflect what a woman can do. Man, ladies are just different. I think they're better sometimes. God made us like that. 
And you see, we live in a generation, an end-time generation that's attacking those very things, saying, well, we don't care what God says. This is what I want. And you're denying the sovereign Lord who bought you. These are things that we've got to wrestle with. And I know we live in a world that is going crazy on things. And I know that we can battle with all sorts of things in, in, our, in our own nature. I, when I got saved, I was sexually immoral when I got saved. I tell you, that was a hard thing to beat. My natural desires were very strong. I remember feeling sometimes like, you know, just pushing the boundary with my girlfriend and then getting to the point where I was like, I can't pull this back anymore. This thing's taken over. Sexual, sexual, sexual desires are extremely strong. I mean, how many great men of faith have fallen over sexual issues? I mean, they're falling like flies all around us. But God put me as a male, and I have, to, I have to beat that thing. I have to put that thing to death. I can't become a slave again to the thing that once ruled me. I've got to keep it chained. And if I can open that cupboard, how do I open the cupboard? Facebook popped up on my feed recently. I was 28 days away from my wife. It's, don't do that on, don't try that at home. <laughs> I was traveling in America and 20, and then on Facebook, my Facebook feed just pops up, girls with curves. And this beautiful woman pops up on my Facebook feed with beautiful curves. <laughs> I know for girls this is weird, but this is what it's like being a guy. I tell you right now, I knew, Andrew, you better scroll very quickly away from this page. Because if I stay on this page, and I give it that much time, this thing's going to put a, it's going to, I'm going to be dragged as a slave back into sin. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? I <laughs> know, oh, I'm scared of that thing. I'm scared of that thing. I'm like, get away from me, girl with curves. I don't want to see you in a bikini. <laughs> I have to beat my own desires. It's a weird thing. It's like, what is that thing? But it, it's something that I have to beat. Because if I open that door, I'm, I know, it's not going to be long, I'm gone. I'm gone. In fact, two of the guys that were restored of the elders were sexual stuff. I'm not immune to that. So I beat that thing. I'm just, when I, how do I beat it? I just don't even, I don't, I'm too scared to open the door. I don't even want to beat that thing. Don't give in to it. I don't think there's something I can find for the girls. It's like, you guys are all wired differently from us. I know guys are weird. <laughs> but guys, you know this is our battle, eh? It'll be a battle till we die. You don't, it's just the way we're wired. It's part of the sinful nature that's not kicked in. And we have to guard ourselves. And we have to remain faithful to the wives that we've married and If this is the position God's put me in, I'm not going to drift from it. I'm not going to go away from it. I want to have to finish. The good stuff was coming on. I took too long at the start. Does this letter come across heavy to you guys? It is quite heavy, yeah. It is. But salvation is a big thing. 
What God did when he died on the cross for us was massive. And, and by sending his spirit into our hearts, it was so that we would break free from sin and unrighteousness. You know, you know you're a Christian because you are growing in Christ-likeness. Now, I know what it's like to struggle with sin. I know. I, I still do. But I remember as a young Christian struggling with different sins, and they were like overwhelmingly strong. But I knew I had to beat them. I knew I couldn't carry on. I'll tell you a story because now I'm stuck on sexual stuff. But, um, but I remember sexual immorality before I got saved. I was sleeping with my girlfriend. I got saved and she got saved the same night. It was wonderful and terrible. Because we'd already crossed boundaries. So now it's really hard to close that door when you've opened it. And I remember being convicted. Eh? I remember the Lord just, stop it. Stop it. And I would, I would try and stop it. I, was like, I knew if I was alone with her, if I was alone with her, it was just bad. You shouldn't actually ever be alone with a guy. Especially if you like him. And we would cross that boundary and cross that boundary and repent. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I remember once saying this to the Lord. I was so sorry for what I'd done. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. If I ever do this again, I said this, please take my name and take it out of the book of life. And cast me from your presence. Half an hour later, my girlfriend arrived. 20 minutes later, I crossed the boundary again. I was like, what have I done? How strong is sex? That I'm 20 minutes ago saying those things, and 20 minutes later, I've just possibly thrown it all away. Thank God that God was gracious to me. Thank God that He forgave me. Thank God. But I'll never forget being in a prophetic meeting. I was a young Christian. I'll finish with this. I was at a young meeting, and a young Christian, there was a prophet in town. Who knows when there's a prophet in town you want to go? So I go to this meeting, and I'm a new Christian, and I'm still struggling with my girlfriend, and, and uh, I'm sitting in the meeting, and this girl is prophesying, and she, she, she's sharing some stuff, and then she starts prophesying. First person she calls out is me, you. I'm so stoked. Yes, got a prophecy. So I come, would you come out and stand in the front of this church? I don't know anyone in this church. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but she doesn't know who I am. And I'm standing there in the front of this church, and some of the leaders gather around me, and she says this to me in front of the whole church, on the microphone. I see you're in an immoral relationship. <laughs> I was like, I didn't expect that. She said, the Lord says I've covered you to this day with my grace. But it stops now. And the fear of God came over me. It was like I knew, like he drew a line. I had messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up for, for six months. Six months as a Christian, he drew a line. I remember just thinking, I can never go back there again. Do you know what I did? We thought we were going to get married. I phoned her, ticky box days, before cell phones. We put money in this machine, water at home. I'm so sorry. I can never, ever see you. What do you mean? I said, I can't be near you. Because if I'm near you, I know what I'm going to do. Please, I never, ever want to see you again. But we love each other, she says. We're going to get married. I said, I can never, ever see you again. Heart broke. I thought I was going to marry you. 
but I knew he'd drawn a line. He was fighting for me, for my life, breaking me free from sexual sin. And I broke free. And I've stayed free. <laughs> we cannot deny the sovereign Lord who bought us. You were bought with blood. You're not your own. Your life belongs to him. And you can give yourself to something, but you will have a Lord. You will be a slave to something or someone. I can tell you this. He is. He is an amazing master. And as you seek his kingdom first, he promises to meet your needs according to his riches and glory. But if you try and live your life your way, follow your things, you won't have him. You have to belong to him. You have to give yourself to him. For you are not your own, the Bible says. You were bought at a price. This is the grace that you'd want us to contend for. This is the grace that I'm taking out of his letter and presenting to you. Now, no matter how badly you've sinned, you can find grace in your time of need. But today is the day of salvation. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. So I want to close this meeting by asking you, is he your sovereign, your only sovereign and Lord? Is he what you would live the rest of your life for? Because if he isn't, you actually have believed a false gospel and a false grace. If, if it's true, if you are in grace, something in you is going, man, I'm battling, but I want that. Then you know he's written into your heart. But if you're just going, never, well, then you haven't come into his grace yet. And then today is the day you can. He loves you. He died on a cross to save you from the things that rule you now. But you're going to serve someone. Choose today whether it'll be him or the masters that rule you now. Can we pray together? Father, I know as I stand in front of this group of people that you say that all men are slaves. We are slaves to the things that rule us, our own carnal desires, our sexual desires, our identity desires, all these things, our need to be like you, to be like God. And Lord, the lie that we think we can live freely living for ourselves is a lie from the pit of hell. Because you say in the word of God that the wages of sin is death. And sin is giving ourselves to anything or anyone outside of you. And Lord, we are all slaves. But Lord, I know there's some here that are slaves to sin. And Lord, your heart is to set them free. Not a freedom to live for themselves, but a freedom to come into your grace, into right relationship with you. That you would find them and write new desires into their hearts. That they would want to love you and obey you. And that by your spirit, a work of grace, you would change them forever, breaking them free from their old masters and bringing them into your kingdom and into your rule and reign. And if there's anyone here today 
and you realize you're a slave, but not to him. And you're saying, I want to be your slave. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I, I realize that you love me, and you want to save me, and I need to be saved. If that's you, then I want to ask you with every head bowed, if you respond to God by lifting your hand, saying, set me free. I want to serve you, God. I want to live for your glory, God, not for my own. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's many hands going up. You know, the amazing thing is this. The price he paid for you was so big. He died and shed blood, his own blood, so that you could be called his. <laughs> Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. As God would come and meet with you and write himself and his desires into your heart. And I believe today he wants to break old things off and bring his kingdom and his rule and reign here. And so I want to ask those that responded and maybe those that still want to respond. I want to pray with you and I actually want to do business. I want God to do business with you right up front here. That God would do something supernatural. The Bible says the gospel is not a gospel of words, but it's power. It is the power of God unto salvation. God wants to do a powerful work in you, coming into you, forgiving you of your sin, setting you free from your old slave masters, and bringing you into right relationship with himself as your Lord, as your master. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and those that lifted their hands, would you come out to the front, and I want to right here in the front trust that God is going to break you free just come out of us guys there were many many people that responded make your way out quickly come come make him Lord make him Lord and while they're coming out let me ask you this I know there's some Christians here that have given their hearts to him but they've actually taken their hand off the plow they followed him and they've just got sidetracked and sidelined and they've started loving the world and the things of the world. And the Lord says, you're mine. I bought you at a price. Come back. Come back. We started the meeting with God calling out, Adam, where are you? Because of separation that had come through sin. If that's you as well, I want to ask you to respond. Come and make him Lord. Come, I wonder if some of the leaders can gather around these folk and I'm going to pray and then you can pray. Come, maybe the worship guys can come out too. Come make some space. Come move more in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we read in Jude about an end times conspiracy, false gospel that will deny your right to be our Lord and our Master, our Kyrios. And Lord, we understand today that we want to contend for the faith that was once and for all handed down to our fathers, the early apostles and prophets. And today, as we stand in your presence, God, you are jealous over us. You're a jealous God. And Lord, you see what we give ourselves to. You see how we love the world and the things of the world. And you say in your word, that if the love of the world is in us, we do not have the love of the Father. Would you come today and break every single illegitimate chain 
that's over these lives. Would you break the spirit of lust? Would you break the spirit of bondage? Would you break things that have attacked identity and caused them to not even understand who we are in you? Would you break those things off and keep us in our rightful place before your throne, God? You promised, Lord, that you would be with us and you would teach us to have victory over our enemies. That we would trample upon the serpent. We would trample upon sin. We would trample upon the things that ruled us. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come into these lives right now and come and be Lord. And I want to ask you, just that have responded, to ask him to come into your life. I'll pray a prayer asking him to come in to forgive you, to come and be your Lord and your sovereign, your master. And I'm going to ask you to pray it with me because it's something that only you can do. I can't do it for you. Lord God, pray with me. Lord God, I hear you today. Forgive me. Help me. Come into my life and be my Lord and my sovereign, the one for whom I live. Forgive me of living for myself. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood that was shed, that I could be set free and bought at a price to belong to you. Come into me, Lord, and be my God. Let me pray now for you. Lord, would you come? You say that you would make your home in us, that you would write your law into us by the power of your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. And write a love for God and a love for the things of God. Write a love for, uh, a love for holiness, yeah. a love for purity, a love for devotion, Lord. Come, Lord, write it into them by the power of your Holy Spirit. For this gospel is not just words. It's not just theory. It is the power of God unto salvation. Spirit of God, write your word deep into them, Lord. That their desire would be for the things of God. That they would be devoted to God and the ways of God. A single-minded people running after the glory of the King. Come, Lord God, and be the one who rules over this part of your creation. Who rules over their hearts and their lives. And Lord, I want to thank you that you are a good master. You're a good master. And it's a joy to be your slave, Lord belong to you. And so I want to ask all of us if we could pray this prayer. Lord, you are our Lord. You are our God. There is none other beside you. We give of ourselves and all of our lives for your glory. Be our God. Be our Lord the one for whom we live and the one that we truly love. Father, in Jesus' name. I wonder if we should worship. Have you got a song?